I want you to open your Bibles, please, to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. We are quickly approaching the end of our study through the book of Ecclesiastes. If you are a guest of ours, we teach through books of the Bible, and we're finishing up the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll do so in, in two weeks. We've got chapter 12 to go, and we're going to cover it in two parts. And uh, when we finish the book in two weeks, we don't always do this, but in particular books we will. We will pause and, and I'll teach that day, but I'll also give you the opportunity to share. And so I wanna say that to you now, that part of that service will be some of you, a few of you, but it's, it's on you to decide, do you want to do this, to stand up where you are. You don't have to come up here, but you'll stand where you are and we'll hand you a microphone and give you an opportunity to briefly say, uh, this is what God has shown me of himself in this book. Or it may be, this is what I've learned about myself as we've studied through this book and my life of faith. This is what I've learned about Jesus and the gospel. However the word has transformed you and changed you, we want to hear from each other. That is a very important part of being in a body of Christ. It, it, it really matters. So with that, I'll just say this. Pay attention to the gentle nudging of the Spirit because the Spirit whispers. And if you sense in your heart, I, I've got something I want to say. You're saying it to the Lord and you're saying it to the body as you share that day. So I want you to, to be thinking about that. Now, I don't think anyone would be surprised if I said to you uh, that as adults, we crave certainty. We crave certainty. We despise the, the not knowing parts of life. Um, many of us in the room right now have decisions to make and, and they need to be made today, this afternoon, next week, soon. And um, those decisions, there's uncertainty around them. And, and it causes us, you know, we say, well, what if I do this and don't, uh, which school do I go to? How, what about this relationship? I, I move forward, do we end it? It's just these questions come and we don't, you don't have the, the answer and you live with this uncertainty. Many of us have experiences. In fact, I need to say all of us on this one. We all have experiences in life that things don't go as we hoped or, you know, quite frankly, tragedy, hardship. These things happen and we're left with these questions, you know. I mean, what just happened? And when the dust settles, why? Why me? Why us? Why this? You see, we have these questions and uncertainty. Now, what might surprise you is, is that neuroscience, you know, through the years, they've, you know, we've come so far, these images are unbelievable. Someone showed me, by the way, I just, I just thought, someone showed me the picture of uh, the ultrasound of their baby. Now, how many of us back in the day, you got the ultrasound of the baby and it took you a while to even know what it was, right? They showed me an ultrasound, y'all. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I'm looking at a person, like a 3D image. It was honestly kind of freaky to me, but... I'm going, whoa, is that real, you know? But, um, you know, research of the brain, I mean, the stuff we know about our brain and, and what, what I would say is we actually know today that the brain is hardwired, hardwired to hate uncertainty. Now, I want you to think about that. You know, we don't believe this is an evolutionary uh, tactic per se. We believe it's God-given. 
and that we're, we're wired to not like not knowing and, and uncertainty. When we don't know something, I want you to picture it this way, picture of roads going along and our knowing. And when, when something happens that we don't understand or we don't know, picture the bridge is out. So right, you're going along and then there's something you don't know. The bridge is out and the roads continue over here and you got, oh my, where's the, I can't keep going. The bridge is out. I've got this gap of not knowing, this gap of uncertainty. And when that happens, physiologically, God in his wisdom created us such that our brain, the energy in the brain pops and the brain begins to dump these chemicals to kind of get the bridge going here, man. We got to figure this out before we can keep going. We're actually hardwired to, to, to despise, to hate uncertainty. And it's amazing that we, we do know this. It's in our bodies. None of us say, man, I am really thinking anxious right now. What do we say? I'm really what? I'm feeling anxious. Well, why do we say I'm feeling? Because you know, like for me, anxiety shows up right here for me. It's over the top of my chest. Some of us, anxiety shows up in our shoulders. Sometimes it's a headache. Sometimes it's tension here. Sometimes your mouth gets dry. Sometimes your breathing gets, you see your body's, that's the, that's the, the chemical dump going. You know, there's uncertainty in our bodies actually feel it. Now I say all that to say the writer of Ecclesiastes in chapter 11 has something really important to say about uncertainty, about not knowing. It's the shortest chapter in the book. Uh, it's, 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 um, I'm gonna break it out into two parts as we move through it. I watched Rob teach last week and he took the back part of chapter 10 and you notice these proverbial statements. That's what these, and that's what we're in today. And I got tickled because I'm looking at it going, oh my gosh, digging pits, charming snakes, chopping wood with a dull ax. I'm going, I'm glad I don't have that, you know? And yet as Rob does so well, and I'm, I mean, he unpacks it and all of a sudden the fog lifts and you go, wait, that's important for me today. And I wanna say, I don't, understand, I don't know if we all grasp what we have in Rob Sweet, but we have a very gifted Bible teacher with a heart of a shepherd. One of the things I don't like about going between Brentwood and Franklin, which I, you know, we go back and forth because we, we're one church with these two congregations is, and I mean this, I don't get, under, I don't get to sit under Rob's teaching. I'm, I watch it, you know, later, but I wish I could sit under it. Now, we are still in these proverbs. So we're still in these tricky little phrases that you look at and you go, what does that mean? And we're gonna need to unpack them even as he did. The, the passage is two parts. I'm gonna try and keep this very simple. It is something we do not know. That's verses one through six. Something we do not know. And then the second part of the verse, seven through 10, the second part of the chapter is something we do know. There, that's pretty simple. Something we do not know, and then we're gonna look at something we do know. I'm gonna start here. I'm gonna take it a couple of verses at a time, but let's start under this heading. Something we do not know, verses one through six. Look at verses one and two, God's word to us today. The writer says, cast your bread on the surface of the waters for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. I want you to underline this or mark it in your mind for you do not know. That's the first time he says it. He's gonna say it three more times in the next four verses. Uh, there's so many different interpretations of what this 
little proverb means. I cannot be dogmatic, so let's be gracious in our understanding. Uh, some take it to be a picture of generosity. And, uh, you know, there's kind of a phrase people say, cast your bread on the water. And, and, and it, some people view it as, you know, you know give, give your stuff away and one day it'll come back to you. It kind of carries that idea of love. If you love something, what do you do? You let it go. And then what happens? If, if, if it was meant to be, it'll come back to you. It's kind of that sort of a thought. And I think it, it certainly could be that. I'm gonna go a different direction with others and I'm gonna do that and I'm gonna give you the two reasons why. The first is this first word, cast your bread. Well, we, and when you guys know we're not talking about loaves of bread here. Cast your bread. Cast, that ver- word in the Hebrew is send. Send, not, not the casting idea, but send your bread on the water. So that takes me in a different way in terms of interpretation. And then I'm gonna bring to the text itself what we know about the writer, at least the person we believe, you know, if it, it, we believe there's a person writing this book and it's either Solomon or someone who truly personified Solomon. And then he kind of steps out at the end of the book and says, and let me tell you this. So, so think about Solomon. What do we know about Solomon? And there's something important we know about Solomon and I want you to turn in your Bibles back to the book of 1 Kings. So you're gonna go left, you're gonna cross 2 Kings and you're gonna hit 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter nine. 1 Kings chapter nine. And I want you to see this verse because this will help us understand this particular passage. 1 Kings chapter nine, verse 26. Notice it says, King Solomon also built a fleet of ships. Y'all, these were not, he didn't have a little canoe and he had little boats. He built a fleet of ships in Ezion Geber, which is near Eloth on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Eden. Edom. Look over in chapter 10, look at verse 22. It says, for the king had at sea the ships of Tarshish, with the ships of Hiram, once every three years, the ships of Tarshish came back bringing gold, silver, ivory, in this interesting, apes and peacocks. He brought back a zoo. Now think about that. Solomon's writing this. He's got a fleet of ships. Think about the fact that they go out every, you know, they go out, but they don't come back. Until it takes, it's a three-year journey. Think about sending a package and it's gonna come back, you know, it's gonna get there in a year and a half, it's gonna take a year and a half to get back. And so what I, I believe Solomon is saying here, he's not talking about just, just generosity. He is, he is talking about resources. I certainly think that, his own resources. And it, it's, it's the idea, you know, you, you're gonna send, send, I'm gonna send ships out. And by the way, I would send seven, even eight, if not more. In other words, I'm gonna send more than one because what does the verse say? You do not know what misfortune may occur. Now you think about those days. You send one, it may sink. You send seven, even eight, you're gonna get your return. Does that make sense? I, we really think this is what this verse means. Of course, we go, well, what does it mean to me today? I don't know. You know, I, I'd, say, I'd say, I don't know dogmatically, but you know, in principle, I, I would say this, and again, this is not specifically what he's saying, but in principle, what's the foundational principle of financial investing? Diversify. There's a sense Solomon's saying here in terms of resources, you know, don't, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's really the idea. Uh, but d- diversify with your resources. Do seven, even eight things such that you'll have a return. Okay, verse three reminds me of the old Saturday Night Live deal where you had um, 
deep thoughts from Jack Handy. You know, you can listen. they're corny as all get out, but um, I'm telling you, look at this verse, verse three. Imagine that music playing in the background in that goofy scene. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth. And whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it is. <laughs> I mean, that's what he says, you know? You go, wow. Um, and he's, he's like being serious, right? We know that. This is not Jack Handy. So what in the world does this mean? And, you know, you take it at face value. We interpret our Bible literally, grammatically, historically, literary, literarily, you know, taking different forms of, of, of uh, literature. And what's he saying here? You know, he, and he'll build upon this. I really, what he's saying here is God has so ordered and ordered the world that things happen. Period. That's it, that's it. That's what he's saying. And he'll talk about God's ordering of the world in a moment. One of the most helpful statements that I ever heard, and, and I wish I would have heard it earlier in my life, it was by a guy named Jack Nicholson, not the actor, but a consultant that we've used over the years, counselor, an awesome older gentleman. But he spoke to a group of us one time and he made this statement, which many of us you know, will remember. And I, I think about it all the time, I do. Hardly a day goes by, I don't think about it. But he looked at a group of us and he said, you need to fall in love with reality. Now think, you know, who needs to be told that? I do. Because in our fallenness, now some of us are better at this than others. So everybody's not on the same spectrum on this. I'm on the other spectrum. Some of you are like, look, I live in reality. I have no problem with it. But a lot of us live in a different realm and it's the realm of this. When we're not honest about our life or life itself and, and we don't fall in love with reality, it doesn't, the reality doesn't change. So for example, um, I'm in a marriage and it's in trouble and you just don't wanna face it. It'd be too embarrassing. I mean, everyone else's marriage looks so good. Let me tell you something, that's the wrong direction. See, the right direction is we're, we're in trouble in our marriage. Do you know what that's called? Reality. And we don't move past that till we own that. How about a relationship? This relationship's not right. You gonna ignore it and bury it? Are you gonna bring, how about confronting someone in love? You know, this is, things are going on and I need to, I just, no, I just don't wanna deal with that. You know, that's, that's not falling in love with reality. Reality, reality won't harm you. It'll hurt. It won't harm you. But you fall in love with reality to move forward in life. And I think that's simply what he's saying. Here, look, why'd the tree fall? It fell and there it is. You know, it's like, and he says, did it fall north, south? He doesn't give you a reason. It could have fallen, by the way, he's saying it could have, could have fallen east or west. It's just a fact that it fell. And I love, you know, and there it lies. You know, there's a pretty good pretty good blunt statement. Um, it seems that wisdom, if I can say it this way, and this is wisdom literature, wisdom 
is dealing with the downpour and the fallen tree as it is. That's wisdom. But why is it raining? It's raining. But why did that have to fall? It's down. Do you see that? Wisdom is dealing with the downpour and the fallen tree. And why did it fall where it did? Can I tell you, can I tell you the answer to that? You don't know. <laughs> That's what he keeps saying. Um, let's continue verses four to six. He's gonna build the thought. He who watches the wind will not sow and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you, second time, do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you, third time, do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, i.e. sow it in the morning, sow it in the evening. Why? Because you do not know, fourth time, y'all, whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. What's he trying to tell us? You do not know, you do not know, you do not know, you do not know. You see the repetition in that? In these days when a farmer would sow seed, and, and I want you to think about this, the seed in the hand of the farmer is his livelihood. That This is his life. This is how he'd feed his family, this is how he'll live. It's valuable. And they would sow it by casting it. See, they didn't have the whir thing or they didn't have tractors. You know, you had to throw it. And this makes you think of Jesus when he talked about sowing the seed and the farmer threw the seed. Guess what they did? They threw seed. Now, there's, the, the objective is throw the seed and the seed takes and it bears roots and it grows up and it bears fruit. That's the whole idea. And the more seed that does that, the better for you, the farmer. So two things could, could diminish your return. Okay, in the text it tells us two things. When they threw this stuff, I'll tell you something. If you threw it and it was windy, what would happen to your seed? Some of it. You throw it and you get the idea and it, some of it would blow off, you know, just fly off into the dirt and trash and weeds, whatever. There's a second thing that could diminish your return when you're throwing these seeds and that is if it downpours immediately and rains too much just soon as you throw the... The, the seed, and some of you guys and women, you know, whoever works in the yard and does this have done this where you've thrown that seed and it downpoured the next day and all your seeds running down the little canals, it's all full of grass seed. The same for them, you see. So the wind and the, the rain could, could, could mess things up. Now, what's interesting is we notice if the farmer, he says it in verse four, if the farmer had this bag of seed, this is life, and he goes out to sow and he stands there and he spends the whole day and he spends the whole day going, that's a, I think that cloud's coming. Ooh, that could be too much, right? Spends the whole day looking at the sky. What will he not do? Obvious, what will he not do? He won't sow his seed, y'all, and I'm gonna tell you something. Months later, he will not reap a harvest. Thus, verse six. I mean, here's what he says to him. Look, just sow your seed, you know? <laughs> throw the stuff. Do it in the morning when it's, you know, it's calm in the morning, just throw it out there. 
And by the way, go back in the evening and throw some more because the weather's settling down. Why? Because you can't control the weather. But you can control your throwing of your seed. How about that? Talk about practical. Let me, let me go to what we do not know because he said it four times. I'm gonna give you one statement that I think all four fit in, okay? So I think the one statement is this. Here's what we do not know. We, this is verse five, and I, I guess I'll read it first just to reinforce it. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman, so here it comes. You do not know the activity of God. And don't forget the last phrase, who makes all things. You don't know, this is how I'm gonna say it, you and I don't know how God works. You and I do not know how God works. Uh, in the same way that in this day, they had no idea, and even today, we don't know how the bone begins to form. How does that one cell become a bone and then the next one come in the ear? You know, we don't know these things. Uh, you, you, you and I don't know how, that's an important word, how God is working. And I want you to notice, it, 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 I love how he took verse two and said, uh, you, don't, you, you don't know if there's gonna be misfortune. And then he goes all the way over here to verse uh, eight and he says, or, or, or verse um, six, and he says, and you don't know if there's gonna be success. You see how he's done that with this passage? So, so look, whether it's misfortune or it's success, you don't know how God is working and his working includes the misfortune and the success. And you go, well, Lord, how can he, God be in misfortune? I'll tell you how, because he says, you don't know, you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. And that would include misfortune and success, which is just absolutely in line with the sovereignty of God as we see it from Genesis all the way to Revelation and so here's a lesson. Let me phrase it in a way I think that we can grab onto and say, okay, I think this is what God's inviting me to trust him for. I think it would be this. Wisdom means refusing to let what I don't know keep me from doing what I can do. I'll say it again. Wisdom means refusing to let what I don't know keep me from doing what I can do. And I'm gonna pause right here because I'm not the teacher. Now, I know I shouldn't say I'm the teacher, but we trust the Holy Spirit of God is our teacher. And I trust the Holy Spirit teaches and is teaching. And so right now in your own world, in your own life, personally, individually, I trust the spirit of God will prompt something in you, will, will, will remind you of something, will teach you. And so I just wanna stop here and I wanna say, what is the spirit bringing to your mind? Is the spirit bringing something? I don't, you know, I got nobody's, I don't, can't read your mind, but the spirit can, knows your mind. So what is the spirit bringing to your mind that may be something that you go, you know, I've been stuck right here and I've just been looking at the sky for days, if not months. I need to quit looking at the sky. 
and I need to reach in here and start throwing some seed. Now, lest you think I'm thinking, you know, sow the seed and come back to your health, wealth, prosperity. I'm not saying that. I'm using the seed as a metaphor to say, I need to reach in here to what I know to do in this situation, this particular situation, and I need to, I need to do it. I'm going along knowing, 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 and I get this gap in life because the tree fell and it hurt and I'm just not over it and I, I'm not, I, I've got to understand why and, I got, and there's this gap in the, in the road, you see. And so you've stopped right here and that gap's stopped you and you, and, and you just stared at the gap. And so I'm just saying, is there something God's putting in your heart and your mind that's, I need to, I need to do this and quit looking at the sky. Now here's why I can say that with certainty. Because when you do that, it requires faith. That's why I say it, because it requires faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, which means it's only by faith that we please God. So, so, so reach in, and I mean this, throw it by faith. This I'll build upon this when I conclude the message in a moment. Let's go on very quickly to verses seven through 10. Number one, we've already noted, we do not know how God is working, but then he says there's something you do know. And this is, I think this is easier actually to understand. He starts off, the light is pleasant and it is good for the eyes to see the sun, verse seven. Verse eight, indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice. I'd underline that. He's gonna repeat it again. Rejoice in them all, all year, whatever you got in years, rejoice in them all and let him remember the days of darkness for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. Now, light and darkness, it's, what he's talking about here is life and death. Um, it, it's, those are two metaphors throughout the Bible that symbolize life and death. And if, if he starts off with light and then he goes to this darkness later, we know that that darkness is death, which I'd go, okay, well, then the darkness is life. And he's just, he's, he's saying, you know, if you're alive, rejoice. That's what he's saying. If you're alive, I mean, if you've lived many years, that's fantastic. Uh, rejoice in all of them. Be glad. Have joy. And then he says, you know, but don't forget the days of darkness, there'll be many. I think what he's saying here is, because I think it's death, is that you remember Solomon doesn't have a full orb view of resurrection, of life after death. He's just got the grave. You remember the grave up here? And when that grave hits, it's i.e. you're in the place of the nether world. You're in the place of nothingness. And he's saying, don't forget, the days of your living, whether long or short, okay, are gonna be few in comparison to the many days you're just gonna be nothing. It, it, it ends, what he's saying. And then he addresses young people. So this is to you, younger people. This kind of, I think, adultish, younger, teens, etc. Rejoice, verse nine, rejoice, young man, during your childhood and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. And follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Now, when your child comes to you with this verse, because I'm telling you, it says exactly what it says. And it really does say, young man, young woman, you know, you've got stuff going in you and it says, do what's on your heart. It even says, and do what you see. Just do it, go do it while you're young, you know? You look at him and go, oh, this is great, yes. And let's finish the verse, you know, because it also says, 
yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. And it's really not meant to be like a downer. I really mean this to those of you who are young, and I'll tell you why in a moment. It's not meant, to, no, don't go have fun. No, 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 it's not that, because I think you can't ignore how he's calling them to life. Um, but he says, you know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. Uh, that's, there's a just accounting for everything we do, young person, old person, every person, and it will be according to the holiness and the righteousness of God. Um, and that's nothing to be afraid of in Christ at all, because Christ has paid the penalty for our sins. We have a right standing before God in all of this, but he, we're accountable for what we do and how we steward our life before God. And I, I want you to know this judgment doesn't take away from the carpe diem, seize the day message. It's there. It's really there, young people. And anyone in here, you know, around my age will tell you, and, and you're gonna see this next week, the, the Bible understands, Solomon understands, there are things you can do in your youth that you cannot do when you get older. This is, this is the reality of life. So in your youth, go for it. We often think of God's judgment as motivation for, you know, don't do the bad things. Don't do that. You know, I'm gonna judge you, don't do that. It's like, but you got, we gotta remember God's judgment is not just, you know, don't do the bad things. God's judgment is, What have, you, what have you done with what I've given you? Now here's where the turn is. To the one who lives a long life, okay? Or it's real, to anyone who's alive, what is God gonna judge us for? Well, what does he tell someone who's, who has life? And this is everyone in the room right now. Rejoice, okay? And then he looks at the younger generation and he says, in your youth, you know, do this. And what does he tell them? What does he tell him in the text? What's, this, what's the word? Rejoice in your youth. In other words, the just accounting for all that we do includes being held accountable for our joy. What? Yes. Giving an account to God for our joy our joy that we're alive. But the tree fell. But it rained on, you see? No, we'll be accountable for our rejoicing because God gave us life. And, and we're getting older and you're not gonna get to be able to do things physically, mentally that you did in your youth. So rejoice in the whole thing. Some of us ha have no problem with this. <laughs> Some of us don't have a governor, maybe need to be reeled in, but most of us, I think, struggle uh, with uncertainty and not knowing, and it's like our uncertainty, the gap, and our not knowing, honestly, this is, I'd, I'd be wired more this way, as many are, uncertainty and not knowing begins to rob you of your joy, because you go, until I can get that certainty, close the gap, then I have my joy. Don't you, you know what I'm saying? And so, so it robs us of, of our of our rejoicing. I said at the very beginning of the message, and we're starting to land this plane, I said, God takes uncertainties and not knowing and transform them 
transforms them from something that raises our stress, which is it happens. I'm going along, I don't know, uncertainty, stress level raises. I really believe, and the text shows us, and the scripture tells us, and the gospel reality means this, that God takes that which raises our stress and he turns it around and our uncertainty, our not knowing, God uses to deepen our joy. And and you talk about counterintuitive. I know all of us are going, I have no idea what you're talking about because uncertainty wears me. Mm. Now, let me explain this. And to do it, I've got to go all the way back to the garden. I want you to think with me for a moment about the Garden of Eden. There has been no fall. This This is paradise. Adam and Eve are in perfect communion with the Father. They are in perfect communion with one another. And they are in perfect communion with the earth and the animals and all. I mean, this is heaven on earth. This is as God intended it to be. Is everybody with me? And in that state, okay, that state of perfection and life as God intended, did Adam and Eve know everything? This is a straight straight up question. They, They didn't know everything. In fact, in that context, as God intended, God said, it's all yours. I, this is, I, the, the, the joy of life with God, each other, and creation, just enjoy it. But there's one thing don't do. I don't want you to eat from a particular tree with a particular name. And what was the name of that tree? It was the tree of what? Ooh. You see that? See, this is, this is, you see, from, from the beginning, made in God's image does not mean we're God or ever will be God. We will n- never be all-knowing and we were never meant to be all-knowing. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'll say this, I don't, I don't know if it's true, but I, I don't know that we'd be all-knowing in heaven. That's not, if we weren't here, I don't know we'd be all-knowing there, but the point I'm making is there was a level of not knowing and quite frankly, uncertainty before the fall. Well, wait a minute, Lloyd, then that world wouldn't be perfect. Oh, it was, why? Because God has designed you and me to live by faith. By faith. Faith is life, and life is faith. And so when you and I hit these places of uncertainty and you hit it and you go, I don't know, what's the invitation? This is where I'm saying God flips it. You know, this is, this is, this is, so, this is spiritual wisdom. God flips it over and says, this is your opportunity to trust me because I know everything and I make all things. I rule all things. I'm in control of all things. And and you'll experience me not when you know, but when you trust me. I'm telling you, I was was going through this. I was going, oh my gosh, Lord, because I'm preaching it, but it's hard to live. (laughs) Okay, I'm with you. I mean, I'm... I really believe this is true, but I don't, 
It's tough to live. The abundant life. Jesus said, I came to have, that you might have life, have it abundantly. The abundant life is not a life absent of uncertainty. It is not life having all the answers. It is a life of faith. That's what it is. Well, why choose to rejoice even in the uncertainty? Because we trust God is in control what the text is telling us and the whole Bible tells us. But there's also another motivation. And, and if I may, I want you to look at verse 10 again and we will, we will wrap up. Notice he says, because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. I mean, it, it's explicit throughout, but it's, it's implicit throughout, but it's explicit. Let me tell you why you trust God in that uncertainty. Because you don't have long. Because youthfulness and the, and the prime of life, it's fleeting, it's just, it's just gone. So trust him right now. Remember that bumper sticker, life is short and then you die. That's what this is saying. Which brings me to to remind us that life is fleeting. And the application for this text is now. Not tomorrow, but now. I'm gonna let, uh, I'm gonna let this message, this part of the message, life is short and then you die. I'm gonna let it sink in because this is the last thing I'll say. We're gonna watch a video. There's something else this text tells us that we, we know, okay? Not just that there's a judgment, Actually, I'm going to let Trace Adkins tell you because he can sing it better than I can say it. So let's watch this and I will dismiss you. She was staring out the window of their SUV and saying I can't wait to turn 18 She said I'll make my own money And I'll make my own rules Mama put the car in park out there in front of the school And she kissed her head And said I was just like you You're gonna miss this You're gonna want this back you're gonna wish these days Hadn't gone by so fast These are some good times So take a good look around You may not know it now But you're gonna miss this Before she knows it She's a brand new bride In her one bedroom apartment And her daddy stops by He tells her it's a nice place She says it'll do for now Starts talking about babies And buying a house and Daddy shakes his head And says baby just slow down 
you're gonna miss this You're gonna want this back You're gonna wish these days Hadn't gone by so fast These are some good times So take a good look around You may not know it now But you're gonna miss this Working on the water heater, dogs barking, phones ringing, one kid's crying, one kid's screaming, and she keeps apologizing. He says they don't bother me. I've got two babies of my own. One's 36, one's 23. <laughs> it's hard to believe, but you're gonna miss this. You're gonna want this back. You're gonna wish these days Hadn't gone by so fast These are some good times So take a good look around You may not know it now But you're gonna miss this You're gonna miss this So there's a third thing that we know, and I hope you heard it. We know this. We are going to miss this. These moments. Today. It's all you got. Let's stand together. I'll send you out. I've gone over. I'm sorry. I apologize to the Learning Center and all who need to get their kids. Um, I was here yesterday helping to lead a memorial for one of our members, Brian Hartman. Some of you may know Brian. Brian uh, passed away on August 22nd. Brian was 50 years old. He leaves behind his wife, Jennifer, and then two young kids, Emma and Jack. And Brian had a, had a cancer that was extremely rare, extremely aggressive. Um, it took his life in the prime of life. And I uh, stood here, and what was interesting was he knew he was dying, and he planned his funeral. And so those who spoke uh, were speaking his words, like, Brian wanted me to tell you this. Brian wanted me to say this to you. And he spoke to his kids and others in the room, and, and, he, and one of the guys said, Brian wants you guys to know, and he said, to put away your to-do list and make a don't miss list. And then he went on to say, and Brian wants everyone to know, relationships matter most. That's a good word. Don't miss this. God bless. <laughs>